2: My name is Jason Breifel of Shaw, Bransford & Roth, and I'm really excited to be joined by two great friends from the Association for Talent Development. Uh, We're going to talk with us about what is ATD, what's going on in the learning and talent development community uh, globally, and also here in the federal government, um, and spotlighting an event that's happening next week, uh, the ATD Government Workforce Conference that's going to be at the Convention Center downtown. So I'm really excited to have joining me this morning, uh, Justin Brasino, the director of content and Dr. JJ Walker, government learning specialist and the editor of a new publication, modernizing the federal workforce, hiring and developing and retaining top talent. That's going to be released at that conference. Thanks so much for being here with us on FedTalk, Justin and JJ. Uh, so let's let's dive into the discussion. And, and for our listeners who may not be familiar with the association, Justin, can you just let us know what ATD is, who your members are, what are the kind of issues that you're focused on? So ATD or the
3: Association for Talent Development, we are a professional association, not for profit. We've been around for 80 years. This year is actually our 80th birthday. Congratulations. So- Thank you. Yeah. So some of us may know us as ASTD. We rebranded close to 10 years ago. We were the American Society for Training and Development. So our members, the people we serve, their workplace learning professionals, they could be instructional designers, trainers, facilitators, anyone involved in sort of um, training and workplace development. So we're often known as the association that sort of trains the trainer. So we do a variety of things. We have a research arm. We publish about 12 research reports a year. We do books, blogs. We have a magazine. We do videos, podcasts. We have uh, more than a dozen education certificate programs. And we also host a number of conferences throughout the year. So our sort of premier conference, our international conference and exposition we hosted every year in the spring. We usually welcome around 10,000 people from 80 plus countries. Um, so we had it this past year in, in San Diego, and it was, it was really nice. We had Adam Grant as our, our lead keynote. In the past, we've had Oprah. President Obama has keynoted for us before. So a whole variety of great speakers at that event. And then as you uh, sort of mentioned, we have our premier government focused event, government workforce coming up on September 12th at the DC Convention Center.
2: Thanks so much, Justin. And, you know, JJ, I think I've gotten to know you through this organization and uh, paying attention to ATD for several years. You know, from my perspective, while recognizing you all are focused on those learning professionals, I've always thought about this as really critical for anyone who's in, you know, the management realm. So typically the people who are listening to Fed Talk um, and, and, and who are some of my clients uh, as well. So, Curious kind of about what you're focused on kind of topic wise, content wise, what you're seeing um, both in big ATD, but also in in the government space.
0: It is very different in industry versus necessarily in government, right? We deal in government so much in policies and those policies are, are not updated quickly they are not always updated to what all of us would consider logically. and <laughs> They are not always uh, helpful in the ways that we need them to be. And that is a significant uh, piece of the puzzle that we have to attend to that is not such a focus in industry, right? Industry not only can be more agile from a sales perspective um, and from a a personal development perspective, as well as a hiring perspective, than government. And so that allows them to move into different spaces and move at a different pace. But what we can do is borrow from a lot of the information that is happening in those areas. We can work with the professionals and the companies that are servicing those areas and bring that 80% solution to government. And when that occurs, then government has the opportunity to work within the structure, within the policies, within the rule sets, so that that innovation that's happening and being tested externally can actually be digested and applied internally. As far as topics, I would say the one that really, really sticks out to me is the infrastructure piece that has to be modernized. And by the term infrastructure, Uh, I mean that in a data structure concept. So do we have a highway of information? You call it a data uh, stream, lake, uh, ocean, I've heard all these terms, uh, depending on which department we're talking about, we're going to use the information differently. But some sort of highway structure that is going to allow us to collect, house, and share data in meaningful ways. But there's the other piece of the infrastructure. There is also the human infrastructure and the physical infrastructure where are we going to be located? This is this was making so much progress during COVID in some ways by allowing a, a very open-ended uh, opportunities for where you live and how you live. And also opened us up into the ability to hire differently and think about who has the best talent, not necessarily who is just co-located. But now we're seeing that shift. We're seeing a lot of folks demand being in-person. And I think we're gonna to need to watch very carefully about how we make that shift. Are we making that shift because it is historically the way we've done business? Or are we making that shift because intentionally we believe it is useful at all times for people to be face to face? Certainly we would argue that that intention and in those questions are going to differ based on what it is that you're doing in your day and and who it is that you need to interact with. And of course, um, because I do a lot of DoD work, we have to always consider classification rules, of course. Um, But in most cases, or at least in a large percentage of them, uh, we can spend more time in the office doing that innovation face-to-face socialization work that we need to do and also balance that with the hybrid approach of being home during times where it makes sense to be focused, to be able to uh, work throughout the day and to be able to manage, manage uh, personal life as well as professional life. So I would say these are some of the big, big topics that are coming into play. And if I may add just one more, I would say it's the upskilling and reskilling. How are we going to do this more rapidly? How are we going to assess to determine what people know versus what they have their formal education in? How are we going to assess what they need to know as we move forward? And how in the world is that going to fit into the government system where you are hired at a certain GS level or equivalent? And that's where you stay. (laughs) Unless you want to move up, you've got to try and do that in a in a way that is very different than an industry. And this is something that that needs to be talked about, needs to be opened up, and policy needs to address it.
2: Awesome. Thanks so much, JJ. And you you shared a lot with us there, but I appreciate kind of the bridge from from industry into government. And and Justin, I'm curious about your thoughts here, and particularly the notion that, you know, the pandemic and and the push with technology has probably changed the profession, the delivery for the training industry writ large. And and so these folks who are the trainers and are, are thinking of how do we equip the workforce with the skills and development they need, they're also having to think differently because you don't have everyone in the office or everyone's at home or they're all over the map. What's that looking like in, in ATD?
3: I feel like the the pandemic sort of um, sidelined us for a few years where everybody, you know, we've been talking about virtual training, we've been talking about e-learning for 20 plus years, but the reality is a lot of organizations still did most of their training in person. When the pandemic happened, everyone had to switch virtual. Everyone was coming to us to figure out how do we take these in person programs and make them engaging virtual learning experiences. It's all anyone wanted to talk about for almost two years because people were having to do a lot of heavy lifting in converting these programs. Um, I feel like we're sort of starting to even out. In person is certainly coming back, but virtual is still a big piece of what people are doing. It's a lot of conversation right now, and in sort of what JJ was getting at is, What is the balance? What makes sense to do in person? What can stay virtual? A lot of people talking about hybrid too because the reality is you're gonna have some people who are gonna be virtual and some people in the classroom and that makes for a tough uh, learning environment, but it's something that a lot of organizations sort of are having to deal with. So virtual sort of dominated the conversation for a long time. I feel like we are coming back around to where people are sort of starting to think about how you become a skills-based organization and how you can hire more around skills and credentials and you know certificates rather than needing to have a a certain degree in something
2: so that's an interesting conversation taking place right now absolutely the last bed talk that i hosted uh, i had uh, a the ceo of astramio and uh, a a senior leader from edx and two you talking about kind of the promises and challenges of getting to that place where we're, we're managing a skills-based workforce. And and to JJ's point, it comes back to that data piece. How are we capturing information about the skills and capability of the workforce and how are we using that to actively manage that workforce and help people reach, you know, a fuller and new potential.
3: Yep, absolutely. And I feel like this, the, the whole reskilling, upskilling conversation was really popular in 2019. And getting momentum, and then again, COVID happened, and people sort of had to focus on other things for a couple of years. And I feel like we're almost
2: now getting back to sort of where we were before we got sidelined for a bit. That's really interesting. And it, 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 within the government, there are many different initiatives, but what I you know they may or may not be tying together. And um, and I know that we'll we'll dig into it some more. But but you, we mentioned in the intro kind of this new publication, uh, JJ kind of like. What, what's that about? what's What's the goal of that 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 forthcoming publication and focused on the government workforce?
0: what we we being a number of individuals who have all worked in the learning space within government, um, and now most of us have moved out uh, to to industry and are looking for ways to support from the outside. It allows us to understand both both sides of the argument, if you will, right? And we said one of the major problems that we're seeing and certainly it's called out in the president's management agenda probably every four years is that we are often working in silos and we're not making those bridges. Those who are active uh, duty in government currently have their hands tied in many ways, whether it's by policy time or by the requirements that they're trying to address people in the industry oftentimes who have exclusively worked in industry are not always aware of the challenges and the focus areas that that government uh, individuals are focused upon. And so we as a cohort said, well, there's one thing we can do, and that is to act as a bridge. And we can connect these varying topics with the understanding and expertise of government work, as well as the uh, education and and workforce opportunities we've had in industry. Bring those together to get these topics started, not just can we talk about each topic area? But can we look across them and get a better meta understanding of what is available, what is happening or not happening in government? And very specifically, how then do we start addressing policy so that it can enable this meta structure or this ecosystem that we're trying to achieve?
2: Awesome. Thank you so much, JJ, for, for laying that out so succinctly. We've got a pause here for our first break, but we'll be back to our conversation with Justin Brasino and JJ Walcott uh, following a word from our sponsor. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Fed Talk. We're entering the second half of our conversation with uh, the Association for Talent Development, and uh, I want to talk a little bit more specifically about this exciting event next week. Uh, I'm excited in part because I helped uh, find some speakers, and I'm going to be moderating a panel myself. But 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 moreover, uh, and going back to the conversation we were happening having before the break, you know this this notion that people getting together, you know, to learn. Uh, from one another, uh, government to industry, agency to agency. And it was really powerful and it's something that the White House um, is emphasizing really strongly uh, coming out of the pandemic, uh, the value of people getting together for info sharing, for growth and development. And I just wanted to give you both the chance to kind of share with the audience like, you know, what, what you see as the power of this particular event and these opportunities to info share and network between government industry, whether that is in person at a conference or whether that's through communities of practice or broader modes that technology is helping enable.
3: Yeah, Jason, thanks for your support in helping to uh, plan and program the event this year. So, Government Workforce, at September 12th, DC Convention Center. I think this is our 12th year hosting this event. Uh, Last year was our first year back in-person since 2019. So it really kind of illuminated to me when I was sort of introducing the event. I asked the attendees, you know, who here is this your first sort of in-person conference that you've attended since the pandemic? And the majority of people raised their hands. It was really the first time people were sort of out at a conference. And I think it just illuminated to me how kind of crucial it is to be in person because, you know, we did virtual conferences in 2020 and 2021, and there's still some value in virtual events, but I think really the power of these events is the ability to bring people together because you can't really replicate the sort of networking and conversations and sharing that go on in a virtual space, it just doesn't happen the same way. So what I really love about this event and the energy is we're bringing together dozens of different departments and agencies uh along with some industry partners and people are sharing real challenges what they're working on how they're addressing hybrid work challenges how they're looking at the future of work how they are um developing their leaders and you know just the energy in the room during these conversations is is palpable because people are you know looking for solutions to, to challenges that they're working on so the conversations that happen at the event tend to be super specific super practical and just sort of the the sharing and collaboration that goes on is is really a lot of fun still
0: yeah and i'll I'll jump in with two ad- additional thoughts on this one of them is that uh, during all of the panels we connect both a government or a couple of government representatives as well as an industry representative and what's really nice about that is the crosstalk but also the really frank discussions about how do we make this possible for us to all work together? That is something that is an incredible challenge that for those who are trying to come into working with the government oftentimes do not realize. They don't realize what it means to be on the GSA schedule. They don't know uh, what it means to deal with the FAR. They don't know what it means to uh, deal with the the various uh, learning requirements and, and policy requirements that need to be addressed. And so these panels then de facto end up not just talking about the topic, but also the process of how to get there and achieve those goals. And I really like that. My other... Really exciting point that that I think is is absolutely worth sharing is the the intro keynote is going to be Dr. Wendy Walsh. And if you haven't had the pleasure to meet her and hear her speak, this is something not to be missed. She is the chief learning officer for the uh, United States Air Force, uh, AETC to be exact, Um, so Air Education Training uh, Command And what she's going to be talking about is this ecosystem that we're pushing forward to achieve and uh, what DOD is putting behind the goals of this, right? Air Force has just put out a policy for competency modeling, how to do it how to set up an office for it, how to make sure it rolls out to drive training forward. Uh, They are also looking at professional development elements. How do we assess? How do we make sure that the assessment of skills is paramount and that feeds into overall uh, airman competencies, not just for combat pilots and maintenance crew, but also across the lifespan of of their uh, training and their careers all of this is completely relevant across all the other departments as well. But as we say in government, (laughs) right? The the key piece is how do we not reinvent the wheel? How do we do so on a limited budget? And how do we borrow, borrow, borrow from somebody who's leading? And so that is why I think in this case, this particular talk will be very meaningful, especially to all the chief learning officers, HR uh, and management folks, because Air Force, particularly, and of course, the DOD other uh, depart- or, sorry branches are all working together to create this ecosystem that could be uh, mimicked and expanded across the other departments at a much lower cost and a much uh, lower, shall we say, pain point?
2: <laughs> well, and I think it's really exciting that there's a recognition, certainly in the department, Um, And and especially at the Air Force that, you know, if we're going to take full advantage of all of these amazing technological capabilities that AI that other digital tools, you know, require, we have to prepare our workforce and equip them, you know, with digital literacy, digital skills, Uh, we have to know what our what our people are capable of, um, and anticipate what they might need developmentally. Uh, so that we keep them fresh for the next assignment, as opposed to waiting till they're in that job uh, to train them six months or a year once they're into it. Uh, and this is going back to what we were talking about earlier, kind of that, that paradigm shift that we've been exploring around upskilling and reskilling for several years. But in this kind of disjointed way, and, and it seems like this ecosystem, bringing the players, bringing the bigger picture together is, is a really critical uh, mindset shift.
0: Yeah, I think absolutely. And when we talk about industry, it's super easy to imagine a coworker saying, hey, you know what? I'm going into this next major project. I'm going to need to better understand AI. I'm going to go and take some time to get better educated so we can meet the needs of this project. In government, we are not so <laughs> equipped to do that, right? There is not a policy that says, this project requires you to learn something new to be able to complete it. Rather it's, you're a GS 14, your task, your requirements are the following. You're a GS seven. This is what you're going to be able to do or required to do. So we, I think the, the point here is that the solution is not as difficult as creating the opportunity for it to be implemented. That is where the challenge really lies. You you mentioned edX earlier, right? EdX is a platform that has uh, all kinds of of particular uh, areas of focus where you could get some, some quick learning. It might be a course, it might be five or six courses that would get you a certificate or even possibly a degree. How do we buy those? How does government get access to it? And what is the incentive? and where do we put those policy changes so that that can happen? And and I think that's where, one, we know that's where the the changes need to be made, but two, we need to start looking across the departments and across uh, possibly the DOD as well, where they are making some progress in changing that language and sharing it.
3: Yeah, and I think what might be nice to hear is that while the moving toward a skills-based approach is something government hasn't figured out yet, industry and private sector hasn't figured it out yet either, right? It's something that they're wrestling with, something that is still, you know, it's it's a massive undertaking. Um so I feel like they're they're still wrestling with it as well. And I think they know it's the an area they should move toward, but um are still sort of just exploring it or, or getting started on their initiatives.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's it suggests a very fundamental kind of reorganization of of how we think about the economy and Um, you know, there's a lot of levels that, that, that change has to occur at, you know, both for individuals, you know, how do you as a person present what you're good at, you know, when you're used to putting it as a resume, how are you documenting those skills uh, or those capabilities or those things, those experiences you've had that, that enable you to navigate the world more successfully? Uh, what data standards, um, you know, are we using to capture that? So if you move between the air force and the Mm -hmm. army, say, uh, you don't have to reinvent the wheel um, and, and rebuild um, those inputs. And, and as you said, I think that, that this area particularly is is one where, you know, government industry is in the same boat. And so I think it's kind of exciting, and in, in, at least in one regard, that we're not so far behind. And so hopefully we can better learn uh, and bootstrap this together at the end of the day. Opportunity for people to work and have meaning and purpose in their life you know, is a good thing for our society and certainly a good thing for those people individually. Well, I'm curious, you know, before we let folks know where they can sign up for the event and dig into more info, kind of what's on the radar going forward for your team at ATD? Like, are there new topics, new issues on the horizon that are starting (laughs) to kind of gobble up attention? You know, is it the AI thing and chat GPT? Um, uh, or there are other areas that, that we haven't even mentioned yet.
3: You you sort of hit it right, like um, L and training and development. We we are not uh, immune from from looking at the shiny toys, right? And AI is certainly dominating our conversations right now. I think at our our international conference in May, you know, we have two hundred plus education sessions. We probably had a dozen or more that focused on AI. It's one of the most read topics on our website is what people want to talk about. And, um, you know, I think as with every other industry, people are wrestling with what does it mean for me and my role? You know, I think there's a lot of potential utility for AI and in, in helping speed up, you know, course design or collect data. There's a bunch of different ways to use it, but everyone's still wrestling with what's the right way to use it? How can we use it? What's the ethical implications? So, I mean, we as an industry are are sort of still sort of sorting that out, but it's something that we are, we were constantly sort of looking at and and talking about.
2: Very fascinating. Yeah. And it is one of those, it's that balance between just focusing on the shiny thing and what does it mean for the other things? And sometimes that, that balance is there. Sometimes it's not. Um, but uh, we're, we're running up on time here, and, and I do want to make sure that our audience has a chance to know where they can dig into more info about ATD uh, and for the Government Workforce Conference. Um, Justin, can you let us know where uh, folks can find that info? And I do believe we have a special offer uh, for a discount for our, our fedtop listeners as well.
3: Yep, absolutely. If you want to check us out, our website is td.org. We are publishing new content every day. We host three to four webinars a week, so tons of free stuff to look at there. Uh, For Government Workforce, the website is governmentworkforce.td.org. And again, the event is September 12th, DC Convention Center would love to offer everyone a a 50% off discount code. That code is GOV23SAVE50, Uh, so a little bit cumbersome, but that'll get you 50% off of your, uh, your registration for the day we're serving breakfast, we have lunch, we have a networking reception at the end, a couple great keynotes and some some awesome panel discussions. So hope you hope you can come out
2: and join us. Awesome. Uh, Justin Brasino, JJ Walcott, thank you both so much for being here with us on Fed Talk uh, to give a little preview of the Government Workforce Conference and to talk about all the exciting things going on at ATD. Uh, I hope some of our uh, listeners might be able to join us next week. And if so, we'll look forward to seeing you there. Uh, Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law from Shaw, Bransford & Rock. Have a great day.